0: I'm Smoky Mountain News staff writer and BPR contributor Corey Valencourt. Everybody knows we have an election coming up, and that election is obviously a contest, although we don't always pay a lot of attention, to use a baseball metaphor, with the umpires of that contest. Today I'm speaking with Karen Brinson-Bell. Executive Director of the State Board of Elections. She's been there since 2019, oversees a budget of $8.5 million plus federal funds, and is responsible for more than 70 employees and 100 county election boards. Karen, thanks for joining us today.
1: Glad to be here, Corey.
0: So who exactly is eligible to participate in a primary election? I know we have several registration categories, and of course you have people who may be younger or older than you are. So at what point do you get to register and go and pick your party and pick your uh, candidates?
1: I'm really glad you're asking that question, Corey. You've made two very good distinctions. So I'll start with when you can register to vote. Uh, To be a registered voter, we always talk about being 18 and a U.S. citizen. But the key is the fact that we're in a primary. So a 17-year-old who will be 18 by the general election is actually eligible to register and vote in a primary. The other caveat that we should think about is that with a primary, we have specific party ballots. So in North Carolina, we have uh, several parties, the Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Constitution, and Green Party. And the way our primary system works is that if you're affiliated with one of those parties, then when you come into the polling place and you state your name and your address and your party affiliation, then we provide you with the ballot for that party. Unique, though, is for the unaffiliated voter. They, by definition, are not affiliated with a party. So when they come to the polling place, they will be asked, do they want to the Democrat ballot, the Republican ballot, or the Libertarian ballot. And it is just those three because the Constitution Party and the Green Party do not allow for unaffiliated to participate. And that's
0: something that they've chosen, those parties, right?
1: That's right. That's by the party's own adoption. So uh, the unaffiliated voter they are not affiliating with a a party at that point, but they are only allowed to have one ballot. So they'll have to choose between one of those three, or they can receive a... Nonpartisan ballot which would not have as many contests on that ballot
0: so if you're an unaffiliated voter and you come in and you ask for a republican ballot that makes you a republican after that right
1: it does not. Uh, it has nothing to do with registration. It's just your the choice of which party's primary you were choosing to participate in. But that does not change your affiliation or your lack of affiliation. You're still an unaffiliated voter uh, going forward.
0: We talked the other day just briefly about your agency and what you do and how not a lot of people understand the amount of work that goes into putting on an election. So as we get into primary election season People obviously are looking forward to voting, but they don't really know all of the options or all of the different ways that they can vote and all the deadlines associated with those.
1: I'm happy to talk about all those things. Uh, It's great that you're helping us tell our story to the public and help them know a little bit more about what goes into um, their ability to exercise their right to vote. So with absentee by mail... Any voter in North Carolina uh, can request an absentee-by-mail ballot. Uh, In some other states across the country, they have what's called, um, you know, require an excuse to vote. But in North Carolina, we have what's called no excuse, absentee-by-mail. So there have been a few changes, though, so we want voters to be aware of that. And in North Carolina, at this point, a voter may request an absentee-by-mail ballot. By submitting a form, those are available on our state board website ncsve.gov, or they can get that from their county board of elections. Uh, if it's not the voter making the request, then it's now it now has to be a near relative, or if they're in a care facility such as a nursing home or. Um, you know, a hospital, rehabilitation center, something along those lines. Then they can have assistance with that request through a multipartisan assistance team that they can request from the county board of elections. That request form is now required to be uh, hand delivered or mailed back to the county board of election. Previously, they could be emailed or faxed, but that's no longer allowed for civilian absentee by mail requests. Um, Those have to be in by February the 25th, and then the county board, once they receive the request form, will issue the ballot, and the voter or that near relative should return that ballot uh, by 5 p.m. on Election Day, March 3rd. And if they are mailing it, we strongly suggest that they... Uh, go into the post office and request that a postmark be put on there so that we know for certain that it was mailed uh, by Election Day.
0: And you you used a word that I thought was very interesting, and that word was civilian. Overseas and out-of-state military personnel obviously also vote if they're still registered in the jurisdiction. Is the absentee process and the military ballot process somewhat similar?
1: It's actually slightly different. Um, We go through uh, federal regulations when we're dealing with our military and overseas citizens, uh, and that allows for emailing and faxing of those requests. Uh, Obviously, we deal with longer mail delivery periods when we're sending something overseas or through our military mail. So that's why they're given some different provisions.
0: And so as people exercise these ways to vote, obviously another... uh, I suppose it's broadened the ability of a lot of folks to vote who can't make it to the polls on election day, and that's one-stop voting. So talk a little bit about the two-week or so period that we have a one-stop voting that leads up to the primary election.
1: That's right. North Carolina um, for some time now has had what we call one-stop early voting, meaning that you can go to any of these early voting sites in your county. It does not have to be precinct-specific. So if you uh live on the west side of your county, but work on the east side of your county, you can go on your lunch break and an early vote uh, at that location near your work site. And that uh, takes place for 17 days prior to the election. So for this upcoming uh, primary, that's going to be February 13th through the 29th. The hours do vary from county to county, so the, the voters would want to check in with their county board of elections to look up to determine what their hours are. We'll also have that posted on our state board website as well. The other unique thing to early voting is that if you did not register to vote um, or update your voter registration information prior to the close of the registration books, which is February the 7th, anyone who's not registered or have their information updated can go into a one-stop site and update their voter registration or register for the first time. So that's a um, another perk or plus to the one-stop early voting period because we do not allow for registration um, on Election Day. Voters who are registered can update information, but they cannot. no one can register on Election Day and be able to vote that day. But that can take place during early voting.
0: One-stop voting is probably the first opportunity for most people to come and vote in person. But there's something important they need to know about this year's one-stop and primary election day voting. Isn't that right?
1: That's right. On December 31st, we had a, an injunction, a preliminary injunction issued by one of the federal courts um, regarding photo ID and the use of photo ID in North Carolina. Voters will not be required to show photo ID for the March 3rd, 2020 primary election. So uh, there had been provisions where someone was going to have to provide a copy of their ID with their absentee by mail ballot. Uh, They were going to need to present photo ID when they came to vote in person at one stop or election day. And in no form of voting in North Carolina will we be requesting a voter show a photo ID for this primary. Uh, it is a preliminary injunction, so we don't know how long this is imposed, but at least for this primary, we will not be requesting voters
0: show photo ID. Part of that injunction stated that you all have to be very clear in your communications as to uh, county election boards and voters that they won't need their ID, so those there's no misinformation out there. How has how the State Board of Elections gone about getting out the word that this is not a requirement?
1: I think as we were talking earlier about the the things that happen to prepare for an election, this is a great example of the work that goes on behind the scenes. We have been working for months on the implementation of photo ID and had a series of mailings planned and had been conducting uh, voter seminars around the state uh, to, to bring people up to speed about this new process that was to take place. When we learned on December 26th that A judge was going to issue this injunction, we were asked to stop the presses, and that's almost literally um, on a mailing that was going to go out to every household in North Carolina informing them of the photo ID law. So instead, we uh, came together once the injunction was in place on December 31st and began uh, an effort to educate the voters. To the fact that they would not have to show photo ID, so we've been updating our websites, uh, both at the state and county level. We've continued with our hotline, but now it explains the uh, the change in the law, or the the at least the injunction that uh, impacts the law, and then we have a, a another household mailing that's instructing voters about the fact that they will not need to show a photo ID and trying to educate everyone to these dates that we're talking about and how they can vote in the
0: primary. So it was a change when the voter ID law was implemented. Now we've had a change that says voter ID will not be implemented, but there's another change and that surrounds the very time of year that North Carolinians are voting.
1: Yes, for... A long period of time. I don't even know the date. North Carolina has held its primary for both presidential contests and statewide contests in May. But there was a change in our law and a decision to move us to March, and we're now part of the Super Tuesday, as they call it. And the interesting aspect to this for voters is that we are uh, earlier in the election cycle and the nomination process for presidential candidates and even our statewide offices. But it means that for the wonder that it is in North Carolina that we have four seasons and we love it, it means that our winters are very unpredictable. So we're trying to bring an awareness to voters that during this period of early voting and on election day, we may be faced with inclement weather. It could be snow, it could be ice, and all of these things may uh, limit our ability to have our sites open because we will need to follow county procedures and state procedures if there's um, hazardous conditions. We certainly want to err on the side of caution with our voters and our staff who may be administering uh, voting uh, to ensure their safety. We don't know these things, so we ask that when it's a pretty day and you have an opportunity to go utilize early voting, take advantage of that so that you know that your ability to get to the polling place is not going to be impeded by inclement weather.
0: Inclement weather is something we deal with quite a bit here in the mountains. We've lost a few school days just in the past week due to ice and black ice and uh, other potential conditions. So what would happen if we had some sort of Really bad snowstorm or really cold snap that made it almost impossible for anyone to get to the polls and vote on election day.
1: We have not really been faced with that. We have faced uh, hurricanes, even as recently as September. And the law does allow some executive powers for uh, for me as the state elections director, and also with our state board. Uh, we really don't want to go through that scenario. Um, and we did not have to with a hurricane. So that's why it becomes so important to make sure that we provide these early voting days. And I can't foresee a situation where we would say absolutely we would not have our election day voting. But it does mean that we become very dependent on our state emergency response team and our local emergency management uh, offices to help us administer uh, voting at that point and make sure that our personnel and our voters get to the polling places safely. But I think that's another reason why we're, again, emphasizing the ability for any voter, uh, registered voter, to obtain an absentee by mail ballot, uh, and the same with the ability to come during that 17-day period from February 13th through February 29th to early vote. And those votes do count. Uh, There's no waiting on those votes to see if if things are close. I know that's a perception sometimes by by individuals, uh, but those votes are part of the vote totals that we count on election night.
0: It sounds like a lot of those preparations speak to voter confidence in the system and into our ability to administer fair and free elections. A lot of people think that you all just work two days a year. Is that right?
1: Uh, I wish it were that easy. Election officials certainly work far more than two days out of the year. County election offices are actually, all 100 are now full-time election offices, meaning there's personnel there just like any other county office. And they wear many hats. Uh, In days gone by, elections were heavily clerical. Uh, We used triplicate cards and and voter registration forms and, and documents, but we've moved to uh, electronic processing of things. We uh, are a logistical operation, and now as we've become more aware of the cyber threats to our uh, elections and everyday life, we are now becoming security experts. Many of the things that we do for security have been in place for some time, but now we have an added focus, and we're trying to tell the voters, how we go about securing their elections. Uh, A lot of that is actually things that have been in the work and we're just increasing our efforts. And then others require us to lean heavily on our partners at both the federal and state level to ensure that we understand the cyber risks that we're faced with. So, Some of the pre-election things that we do to secure our elections uh, that are ongoing and the things that happen during those other days of the year where we're not conducting voting um, are are things like uh, acceptance testing when we receive new voting equipment. Before every election, we test our voting equipment through a process that we call logic and accuracy testing. And in that process, every ballot position on every contest on every ballot style on every piece of voting equipment and each component that will be used is tested before every election and we do that we look we do that based upon a test script and once we ensure that those results are are correct then we seal up those machines and deploy them through a chain of custody process and that's just On the forefront of what we're doing. During the election, we have other security measures that are in place and those deal with uh, having bipartisan individuals from the community who are volunteering on election day to be our precinct official or poll workers. Uh, We have That chain of custody document that I mentioned where they're reconciling the number of ballots that have been used um, or spoiled or unused even. Um, We account for each one of those and the results tapes and the keys and and various things that are used at the polling place. And then post-election. Election. An election doesn't end on election night. Uh, that's just the start of what we call our canvas period. And for 10 days, our county election offices are working just as hard. They report back to work no matter how long they were there on election night. They report to work that very next morning and start doing a reconciliation process where they are accounting for each person who voted and indicating that in what we call voter history. So we're making sure that the number of ballots cast equal the number of people who checked in to vote. We go through an audit process. We do a sample hand-to-eye count um, of a randomly selected Precinct, actually, two precincts following every single election, and then we have a, a series of other audits where we're looking at close contests and any kind of manual entry we might have done. So, it's a pretty thorough process uh, that most people don't realize is taking place, and all of that is presented to the county board so that they can then certify that. Uh, the election results, and that's when they become official at the county level. They're sent up to the state level. We have further audits that we do, and we take it before the state board of elections. That's just the immediate election time, but throughout the year, those same officials are Doing maintenance on that voting equipment. They're doing list maintenance, which is when we are doing voter mailings to voters to confirm their address, to confirm that they're still a North Carolina registered voter, um, or to update their information if they so choose at that time. Uh, so, and then they wear many other hats that other county departments would wear, uh, such as preparing budgets, going through training, um, and now a lot of cybersecurity training as well
0: even after all that and after results are certified, we may not still have a winner in some of these primaries. But I understand there's been a change in what triggers uh, these so-called second primaries. Can you talk a little bit about the thresholds that people would need to uh, emerge from these contests without having to go through that?
1: Yes. In North Carolina, when we conduct a primary, we actually can move into what we call a second primary. Some folks think of that as a runoff. And but runoffs are generally the term used for general elections, but we could still reference this as a runoff. But the second primaries uh, traditionally had, for, had had a 40% threshold, meaning that if a candidate had 40% of the vote, then they advanced to the general election, because obviously a primary is a nominating process. It's not the final decision of who's going to serve in that elected office. Now, as of 2018, if a candidate that threshold has been lowered to 30%. So if a candidate uh, gets 30% plus one of the votes, then they move forward as that nominee for the general election. Otherwise, we will have a second primary, and that could be in April or that could be in May, and it's dependent upon whether or not a federal contest is involved, because when we were talking earlier about those military and overseas ballots, uh, when we have a federal contest, we have to allow a longer period of time to transmit those ballots.
0: Going back to the baseball metaphor of the umpire that we used earlier, it seems to reason that the biggest measure of your success in your job and on the county level, the county election boards doing their jobs is to not be noticed.
1: That's exactly right. Um, we we rather stay behind the scenes than be in the headlines. Uh, being an election official is is a job where we want things to go right. We want voters to have a positive experience and to just be able to come out and exercise their right to vote. Um, I've often said that we're sort of like wedding planners, but we don't get to have balloons. And uh, we don't always make everyone happy, but we strive to do so. Um it's still a logistical process where we're trying to make sure that we don't have long lines where uh, folks do have a good experience and uh, have confidence in the process. Our state board chairman um, as far he he just recently became our chairman back in August. His name's Damon Cercosta. but back in two thousand and eleven he uh, was interviewed in another capacity and said to that newspaper that elections are like shuttle launches, you only get one shot. And before I ever even knew him, I had that hanging up in my office when I was a county elections director for Transylvania County. And it's still true. And that's a lot of of how we see our job is that we're going to do everything possible to be prepared, um, to be ready. And if things go smoothly, uh, that's the best compliment is to not have a headline that says otherwise.
0: Karen Brinson-Bell, director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections, thanks for joining us this afternoon.
1: Thanks for having me, Corey.